welcome. How's everybody doing? I, uh, I feel like that, that the, the media that they've done for this series makes me so much cooler than I really am. You know, it's like everybody gets pumped. You know, like you're expecting this fantastic message, which I hope it is, because I believe God's all over this. But that media just immediately makes me like 10 times cooler than I really am. Um, so my name is Marcus. I'm the campus pastor here at Lone Tree. If you don't know me, um, I teach every once in a while. I love the opportunity to teach. But I specifically love the opportunity to teach on weekends like this because this is our campus pastor weekend. Um, And if you're not familiar with that, like here at Lone Tree, you you probably don't really notice a whole lot that's different. Um, But at our other campuses, the campus pastors at those campuses, we take um, a few weekends every year and and campus pastors actually teach. We teach the same message, um, basically, um, at each campus. So this weekend, as I teach, I'm teaching just to you guys and to the people online, which I love because normally I'm having to worry about the tonights and the todays. I'm having to worry about um, saying hi to other campuses, which are all fantastic, but you guys are my people. You are my Lone Tree campus. I love you guys. You're the best looking campus, and I can say that now that nobody else is listening. You guys, yeah, I get some, some hoorahs back there. So you guys are the best looking campus um, by far, and I've been to the other ones to visit them, and they're not ugly, but they're just a little subpar. So... Yeah, and Dan's back there as he listens to this. So unfortunately, Dan decided to skip Campus Pastor Weekend at his church. So uh, he gets the truth revealed right now. Sorry, Dan. Um, really, it is, it is just an honor and a privilege. I love teaching. Um, more so, I love just the Word of God, and I love what he has. I love the fact this has been such an incredible series. You know, I don't, I don't know. Have you guys enjoyed this series? It's such a different break from the pace that we normally have. You know, we, we go topically, and we decided, you know what, we don't teach through, you know, characters of the Bible very often. And so this guy's given us a wonderful opportunity to pull out just a few specific people in, this, in the Bible, specifically within the Old Testament, and say, hey, let's look at this person's life, and let's see what made them so special, what made them a true hero in the kingdom of God. And I must say, I feel like, Um, I probably got one of the coolest heroes out of this whole mix, and I got Nehemiah. And I don't know if you know much about Nehemiah, but the guy was a stud. I mean, he he really was. The guy was a stud, and I'm just like, I would love to be like Nehemiah. Um, And so it's just so cool to be able to do this and be part of this cool series. Um, I know that probably some of you, and maybe you're not, maybe you are, you look at me and you're like, what in the world is that beard that you're growing right now? Um, and if you've thought that in your head, believe me, I've thought the same thing. Um, we here at our Lone Tree campus, um, in our Lone Tree staff, have started what's called mustache, must, mustache March. Mustache March. So March is Mustache Month around here um, at JFC Lone Tree. And all of us campus um, staff here at our Lone Tree campus are growing beards and mustaches. Mustaches. I can't even say it. It's like getting in my mouth. Um, we're growing mustaches. And uh, at the end of the month, we're actually going to all shave our beards, and we're going to have a contest to see who can grow the best mustache. Now, I realize, I've realized two things through this process. The first one, the first thing that I found out is that Pastor Larry, who's our counseling pastor here, how many of you guys know Pastor Larry? He's got the most fantastic beard in the world. He really does. But you know what's really amazing, even more than his beard, is the fact that he has not shaved his beard in 40 years. And I do not lie to you. He actually told me the other day that his children have actually never seen him without a beard. 
And his children are grown, married, and have kids of their own, which is an amazing feat. So I say that for this reason. Peer pressure is an amazing thing. (laughs) If you know Pastor Larry, and he sits right here in the front row, if you know Pastor Larry, I would love for you to pressure him as much as you can that at the end of the month, for the first time in 40 years, I want him to shave that beard off. You guys got my back on this one? All right. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing that I found out through this process, yeah, money, money, money. Man, maybe we'll start a pot, like a, like a third offering or something like that for Pastor Larry. Um, and the second thing that I figured out through this process is I grow the most horrific mustache in the world. So I apologize to everybody here. But the way that I figured that out is my wife came to me like three or four days ago. My wife, Amy, um, came up to me and she said, Marcus, you look just like the Lorax. And I don't know if you know who the Lorax is, so we brought a picture up here. You can't even, like, barely see my mustache. It's, like, so, it's almost, like, translucent. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that's quite flattering. Um, and so, hence the reason I normally don't grow one. But please uh, get beyond the mustache and beyond the whole Lorax, um, you know, vibe that I'm giving off here. And uh, we just wanted to jump into the Word of God and into a fantastic story about Nehemiah, um, an amazing hero of the Bible. So before we jump in, out of all the laughs and whatnot, let's just honor God. Let's all go to Him in prayer right now, if you guys would just join me. Father, You are our Holy Lord. And God, as as we look into the Scriptures, as we look at, at the things that you've put into your word, Lord God, and we look at these people who we deem as heroes, Father, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would break through into each of our hearts and our minds and our lives, Lord God, allowing us to hear what you desire to share with us, Lord. That it's more than just notes on a piece of paper, Father, but that is truly your spirit here in this place. Lord, I invite you in here. And your spirit in powerful ways to bring truth and life to every person in this room. Lord God, every person who may be watching online this evening, Father, we invite you in. God, we we sit you on the highest place above all things right now. That you may break through into our lives, Lord. And by looking at the life of Nehemiah, Father, I pray that you would bring revelation to what true heroes are. And the fact that we can be heroes in your kingdom. Father, use my words. May they not be my words, but may they be your words. Use my mouth to speak your words, Lord. We give you glory and honor and praise, and in your name we pray. Amen. Pastor John has a quote, and his quote goes like this. It says, leaders aren't developed in a day. Leaders are developed daily. And as we sat down as campus pastors and talked about this hero's message, we actually took that same quote, and we modified it a little bit um, to where we, we said, we used it in this way, that heroes aren't developed in a day. Heroes are developed daily. And where we got that from was from the idea of Nehemiah's life and the fact that Nehemiah, the subtitle that we used in, the, in this message is Nehemiah walking out God's process. God, I believe, with every character of the Bible that we've read about and us, every person sitting in this room, have a process that God is walking us through. And when we think about heroes, we see the end result of these people in the Bible and what made them a hero. And sometimes it's hard to even digest that, to say, could I really do something like that? 
But when we think about the process that God has walked these people through, which is what we're going to do with Nehemiah's life today, we can actually see that these are real people in real situations that God used for really amazing things. The word process actually, um, taken out of the dictionary, is a series of events to produce a result, especially as contrasted with product. So the really cool thing here is God's process is meant to produce a result in our lives. And if we're walking through a godly process and we're walking through what he desires for us to walk through, then in the end is a product that's glorifying to him and to his kingdom. Ultimately, all of the heroes that we've looked at have walked through processes that in the end, the result was glorifying to God in fantastically amazing ways, way above and beyond what they could have ever done by themselves. And Nehemiah is exactly the same way. Um, we, looked at, we looked at Nehemiah, um, and we, we looked at all the other heroes that we taught about and more that we want to teach about. In fact, we're talking about maybe doing a Heroes Part 2 at some point because um, there's just so many characters in the Bible that have done fantastic things that it's worthy of bringing attention to what God's done. Um, some of the common threads of these heroes are the idea of favor. I think we've heard that through almost every single one of the characters that we've talked about is God's abundant favor on their lives. Um, boldness, that each one of these people um, walked in boldness, that they had great faith, that they were men and women of character, that they were, that they were um, audacious enough to ask God for things, that they were set apart, you know, the idea of holy and pleasing to God, that they were set apart, and that they were overcomers. You know, these is, this is kind of common thread that runs through, weaves through all of these heroes that we've talked about, all the way to the point of Nehemiah, where we are at currently. And the fact that Nehemiah truly has so many of these characteristics that we talk about. In order to dive into the story of Nehemiah, I realize that Nehemiah is a portion of Scripture um, in the Old Testament, which some of you may have never read the Old Testament. And if you haven't, read it. It's fantastic. It's amazing. But sometimes it's difficult to read the Old Testament for all that it's worth because it, there needs to be history that's given when you're talking about these characters. So I'm a, in, in about five minutes, how many of you guys like history? Anybody like history? I'm terrible at history. So I've done my best. I know a bit of this, but I've done my best to, to really hone this into something that somebody like me can digest. And I'm taking, let's see here, I'm taking 3,212 years of history. And I'm going to try to condense it down into a 41-minute message. In the first, uh, let's see here, the first 800 years, I'm going to give you in five minutes right now. All right. So the history of Nehemiah and why this is important, you guys will all see the purpose of why this is important when we talk about Nehemiah. The history of Nehemiah starts back, and it's truly a history of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. All of us know Jerusalem, right? It still exists today. It's an ancient city, and it goes back very, very far. Um, and then in the year 1200 BC, the Israelites invaded Jerusalem under Joshua. We all know Joshua. We all have read his story. We all know the things that he's done. So in the year 1200 BC, the Israelites released from Egypt, go into Israel, and they invade Jerusalem under the authority of Joshua. Well, 200 years later, King David is now sitting on the throne. He takes Jerusalem over, and he decides to make Jerusalem the capital of the promised land. It's the capital of Israel at that point, the capital of the kingdom of where all of these stories that you read about in the Bible is happening. Um, all of us know that King David had a son named Solomon, and from 960 to 957 BC, David's son Solomon begins to extend the boundaries of Jerusalem's city. 
Um, and he, at that same time, around 957 BC, he builds the first temple in Jerusalem. The first temple in Jerusalem. In 931, Solomon dies, and almost immediately thereafter, Israel's divided into two specific separate kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And if you read, this, if you read uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, and we talked about this, you see some of the turn in what has happened here. And that is where Solomon started to steer away from what God wanted to happen and started to go into his own nature and character of this is what I think should happen. We talked about the, the book of Ecclesiastes not too long ago. I think our last campus pastor teaching, we talked about how Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes realizing he had just walked out in his own authority, not God's authority, and he saw the downturn of this nation and what was happening. All the way to the point in time when Solomon dies in 931 BC, that Israel is divided into a northern and southern kingdom. The northern is the kingdom of Israel, the southern is the kingdom of Judah, and Jerusalem is contained within that southern kingdom of, of, of Judah. During this time, there's a lot of idol worship going on. There's a lot of moving away from God and into just the worship and practice of so many other things um, that God really had led his chosen people out of. Well, they go back into this process of doing these same things. Um, and Jeremiah, through this process of time, he warns the people of Israel. And he says, listen, God gave me a prophetic um, understanding of what's going to happen. And if you do not turn away from these things, he will allow you to be destroyed. Well, guess what happens? They don't turn, around, turn away. And the prophetic word that Jeremiah shares at this point comes to full fruition. In 597 B.C., Jerusalem, a nation that was so powerful, and in Solomon's time when he took over this nation from his, his uh, father David, was at the height of their kingdom. Nobody could touch them. Just a few hundred years, and I know that sounds like a lot, but in this day and age, it is not that much time. In a few hundred years, Jerusalem falls apart, and they're fallen to the hands of the Assyrians. The Assyrians, the Assyrians come and they take over the entire city of Jerusalem. Just a few years later, in 586 B.C., uh, the temple in Jerusalem that Solomon built was destroyed by the evil king Nebuchadnezzar. And all of the Jews who lived in Jerusalem, which was everybody who lived in Jerusalem, were exiled and taken away to Babylon, the Assyrian um, city of Babylon. And at this point in 586 B.C., God's holy people, his chosen nation, and the city that he loves and his heart is for, lies completely desolate. There's nobody there anymore. Every one of God's people are taken away to Babylon and they're held captive as slaves again where he had already released them before. Now they're back in the same situation because they turned away from what God had called them to do. By 539 BC, about 70 years later, the Babylonian empire falls to the Persian king um, by the name of King Cyrus the Great. And one year after he takes over um, the Babylonians, he issues an edict, basically saying God spoke to Cyrus's heart. Um, and this is all in the Bible, read it, I'm not lying to you guys, but God spoke to Cyrus's heart, and he said, those are my people, now that you've taken over the Babylonians, it's time to let them go. And within a period of one year, God spoke that to him, and the next year, Cyrus, Cyrus issues an edict in 538 B.C., saying the Jews can now finally leave captivity that they've been in for 70 years. By 537 B.C., a remnant of about 50,000 Jews returned from Babylon by the edict of King Cyrus 
led by the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. You guys have heard those names before, right? So you can all start to see how history is actually playing itself out, that there's reasons. These aren't just individual characters that the Bible just decided to pull out to talk about these people. This is a real story of God's chosen people and what has, is happening during this time. So 537 BC, 50,000 people are, are returned to Jerusalem from Babylon, but they return to a city that the walls are gone, the temple's destroyed, there's nothing there. So they take the next uh, period of time, um, and in 515 BC, uh, about 22 years after they had left Babylon, they built a smaller and a little bit less elaborate temple, but in the same place where Solomon's original temple was. And that's what they do. And they sit in this place with this new temple built. And throughout the next um, about 150 years, more Jews continue to leave Babylon and come back to Jerusalem. They're going back to the Holy Land. They're going back to the place that God gave them. But as they go, they're really not doing much. They're leaving the exile of Babylon, but they get to Jerusalem and they get to a place that the walls are still gone. They're, it lies in ruins. It literally lies in ruins. These, these people are living in filth. They're living under the rubble of this once great city. And in the middle of this city, literally almost the middle of this city, exists this temple that they built, which is the holiest place where they go and worship God. And they do this for 70 years. They live like this. 70 years they live in Jerusalem with the temple built, but with no walls there. Now, why would you build walls in a city? You build walls in a city to protect yourself because there's real enemies out there that want to destroy you. So you can imagine these people, God's chosen people, have gone back to live in this city. They've rebuilt the temple, which surely God's heart jumps at the fact that they would honor him like that. But his heart is saddened in the fact that they still live, they're living in the filth and in the rubble, and they're having to deal with the enemies, the real enemies, the physical enemies around them that still hate them, that want to kill them. Well, this is where the story of Nehemiah starts. It's so interesting, and it's so important for us to understand this history, because Nehemiah comes from a family of Jews who were also exiled into Babylon away from Jerusalem. He's a Jew underneath the reign of the Persian king Artaxerxes, who many of us have heard of, and he's actually the cupbearer to the king, which is a, uh, it's actually a pretty high responsibility to be the cupbearer of the king. He's the one who brings the king his wine, who tastes his wine to make sure it's not poison, it's not going to kill him. He has a relationship with King Artaxerxes, one of the most powerful men in the world at this time. And Nehemiah is a Jew. And we pick this story up in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And if you guys have your Bibles, I want you guys to open them up. Because this is, it's really neat now that we have this history lesson to see what's really happening and see why it's so important, these first four verses in Nehemiah and how this really means something to us. I'm going to read out of the New King James Version, and it says this. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev, the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the citadel, that Han and I and one of my brothers came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. So he's saying some guys came to Persia, where he was, which is modern day, um, it's portions of modern day Israel, I mean, sorry, Iran and Afghanistan. That's where 
Nehemiah is living right now under the, the reigning of Artaxerxes. So somebody comes and he's visiting Nehemiah. He's a Jew coming from that town. And Nehemiah says, hey, how are things back in Jerusalem? You know, how are things going right now? Verse 3, and they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I, Nehemiah, heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. What happened in this situation? So Nehemiah is hundreds and hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. The Jews have returned for 70 years. He's hoping for some good news. He's hoping that somebody of his own people are going to come back and they're going to tell him, guess what, Nehemiah? We're there. We're surviving. We're thriving. You know, we're moving forward. But what really happens is Nehemiah finds out that his people, although they've gone back to their own city, are still in this place of desolation. And immediately at that point when Nehemiah hears this word, God penetrates his heart. He is overcome by compassion and love for God's people to the point where it says that he weeps and he mourns for days. I don't know if you've ever wept and mourned for days. Maybe if you've lost somebody really close to you, you've gotten somewhere close to that. But this was obviously important. God was doing something in Nehemiah's heart. He was stirring something in him with compassion and with love. And Nehemiah began to realize, oh my goodness, God's people are still in this dire place of need. What are we going to do? See, heroes, real heroes, the process so often starts when we get God's heart. I can tell you from, from personal, just living my life, that hearing from God is one of the most important things that you could ever do in your life. When you hear from God and when the compassion and the love and the mercy and the grace and everything that he is, you allow that to be what drives you in your life, you can't make a wrong decision because God is guiding you and he's directing you. The problem is, is so many times I can say from my own life that I have walked out so many times, so many decisions where I, it wasn't about hearing from God. It was just about what did Marcus want to do? What's best for me? You know, that looks good. I'm going to go and do that. And how many times have I done that? How many times have we all done this and we've fallen flat on our face, wondering why we couldn't be successful in the end? What in the world happened? Well, I think it's hugely important, and I think that this piece of Scripture, it just pulls it out in such a perfect, clear, crystal clear picture now, knowing what's going on, is when we listen to God, and you'll hear through the rest of this story, when we listen to God, when we have His heart, He's going to start something stirring inside of us that are going to provide fantastic living fruit and life in us. It's important to understand the idea the difference between going to God and asking him, Lord, bless me, Lord, give me this, Lord, I need this, Lord, help me in this. That's not bad, it's, it's okay, but we cannot get stuck in the place of saying, Lord, me, 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 I, 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 give me, give me, give me, please forgive me, help me, all these kind of things. We need to ask the Lord for something bigger than that. 
you want to be a hero for the kingdom, it's time to get God's heart for something more than yourself. It's time to get God's heart for what's out there in our communities and in our families, in our places of work. Are we asking God, God, provide revelation and wisdom and understanding of what you see so that when I see it, my heart can break too? So that when you rejoice, my heart can rejoice too? I love the fact that Nehemiah gets this response back from this person and it says immediately his, his, his heart breaks. You know at that point his heart is joined in with God's heart and I want my heart to be joined in with God's heart. When I'm somewhere and I see something that breaks God's heart, I want my heart to break. When I see somebody that God says, that's the one, I want you to go talk to that one. I want to have that revelation inside of me that says, that's the one, that's the one I'm supposed to go talk to. But it takes the audacity for me to be able to break outside of my own mindset of, Lord, bless me, to the nature of, Lord, give me your heart. Give me your heart. In all honesty, I believe when we run after his heart that way, there's nothing but blessing for us. There's nothing but wonderful blessing for us in our lives. When God speaks, we should listen. We have to ask and we have to listen. You see, what's even more amazing, it says God starts to stir this in Nehemiah's heart. And as his heart gets broken, you could tell something's happening inside of him. He's weeping and he's mourning, but there's something going on. The wheels are turning in his head. And you can see it more as you read through these scriptures. Um, we just don't have time to get to them all. But the wheels are turning inside of his head. He's like, okay, what's going to happen? How do, I do, how do I do this? What, what happens? And in all reality, this is a huge task. You think 50,000 people in 70 years haven't been able to do anything about this. What is one man going to do? Seriously. In fact, it's more than 50,000 because over the last 150 years, more and more have been coming there. So you're talking, there's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 to 100,000 people living in this city, living in the rubble. You think one of them would have been able to figure out how to build these walls? Give me a break. And Nehemiah thinks that he could really do something about it? Is he joking? It's like, okay, my heart breaks. I'm sad. I'm going to move on. And I think sometimes that's how so many of us live. It's like, Lord, I'm so sorry that that's happening. Or I'm so sorry that that's this, this is the situation. And, and we do this. And we have legitimate fears that this is way too big. The city of Jerusalem, how many of you guys have been to Jerusalem? It's an amazing, if you have, can ever get there, go. It's so amazing. I have had the opportunity to travel there a couple times, once with the church and once before I was here um, in fact, I've actually had the opportunity that very few people have. I lived in the old city of Jerusalem for, for a month. Um, I live within the old city walls. Uh, and it was a most amazing experience. Every day I would wake up and I'd walk through that city. And every day I'd find the new thing, you know, the, the new place in that city and whatnot. But one thing that I, I realized is that that's not a, it's not a really small place. You know, it's not a small city when you're, in, when you're thinking about building walls around it. In fact, at the time of Nehemiah, the city is, is about four and a half miles in circumference. Four and a half miles in circumference. And the walls are somewhere between five and eight foot thick between the whole city, all the way around the entire city, between five and eight feet thick. So you're talking about stones that are many, many tons each that this city was built with. It's... It's 
put to rubble. And then one man thinks that he's going to go and be like, oh, I'm going to go put this, this city back together. And he has the audacity to actually believe that something can happen with that. What's really cool, though, is that Nehemiah didn't get stuck how I get stuck so many times. I get stuck like, wow, Lord, my heart breaks. Maybe I shed a tear, and then I move on. You know, I flip the channel, and I watch something else. Nehemiah doesn't get stuck in this. He actually takes God's heart, what God is doing, penetrating his heart, and he actually takes action on this. And that's where we get to our second point, and it's hugely important, and it's a huge leap for some of us. It's not okay just to have God's heart if you want to be a hero. If you want to be a hero, you have God's heart, but when you get his heart, you take action on it. You take action on it. This is the whole idea. We said in our teaching team meeting, this is the, whole, this is the action hero idea, you know? This is like, it's like movement. It's like actually doing something. You know, could you imagine watching like as a kid a cartoon about action heroes and it's like, oh, I'm sorry that you're um, hurting over there. I wish I could help you. And then they just sit and they do nothing, you know? It's like, how anticlimactic is that? You know, that'd be a terrible television show um, and it'd be a terrible story in the Bible. And that's why they don't put that in there because Nehemiah was a hero. He did something about this. He took action. So let's dive in real quick. Um, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. And Nehemiah is writing these again, and he says, and he's in Jerusalem at this point. And he says, then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in now, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of God's word that he had spoken to me. So they said, and this is amazing, this is 75,000 people who have lived there for 70 years haven't been able to say this. And what do they say? Let us rise and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. It's so amazing to see when God speaks and when we take action, Things can happen so far and above what we're able to do in the natural. See, Nehemiah went to this city, and something supernatural broke through. A people who had been living in desolation for 70 years in this place, finally, it clicked. We can do this. We can do this. We can rebuild this city. See, there's a difference between faith in your mind and faith as an action. In fact, James says it in James uh, 2, verse 18. He says, you show me your faith outside of works, and I'm going to show you my faith through my works or through my actions. You see, I think real faith, real faith that does something in this world is faith that's a verb. Faith that's just not like, well, I believe that God can do that. I have faith. I believe that God can heal me. Those are all great things. But what are you doing about it? Are you praying? Are you standing with your brothers and your sisters? Are you believing that God can do all things and that he can use you to do that? You see, that's where Nehemiah was at here at this place. And it's so cool. One man who gets God's heart comes to this place, comes to this city, takes 50 to 70, I'm sorry, 75 to 100,000 people. And he says, listen, here's what God told me. It's time for us to break out of this, to stop living in our own filth, to stop being, you know, the laughing stock of all these people around here. We're going to do something about this. And we're going to do it because God said we're going to do it. And what do the people say? 
We're there. We're in. We're going to do it. These guys don't know who Nehemiah is. These guys are, they can't even get through their own days, you know, thinking, am I going to survive tomorrow? Is somebody going to come and they're going to pillage through us and kill us all? You know, and it's just amazing to see when we take action on something, we have the favor of God on our life to be able to do things far greater than what we could ever, ever imagine. Nehemiah conquered his fears. You know, it's really interesting as I was reading, I, I normally think about Nehemiah as this like big stud, right? And he is a stud in the faith. But there's a really interesting portion of scripture. And it's when Nehemiah, right after the Lord breaks his heart, Nehemiah goes before the king, King Artaxerxes, before anything ever happens. He goes before King Artaxerxes. And King Artaxerxes, because he knows him well enough, he says to Nehemiah, he's like, what's wrong with you? Like, you look sad. And Nehemiah says, he writes this down on paper. I'm sure he, he doesn't say this to the king. But he writes this down on paper. And he said, at that point, I was dreadfully afraid. You know why he was dreadfully afraid? He was afraid because as soon as he opened his mouth, he knew faith was going to have to turn into action. And it was something far bigger than he was. But he had the boldness to tell King Artaxerxes, well, here's where I'm at. I heard about the city. God put this on my heart, and I feel like I got to go. And King Artaxerxes said, you know what? Do it. Tell me how long you're going to be gone. I'll send a couple guys with you. We'll see what happens. You go do it. You can be the governor over that area. It's so amazing, though, that he conquered his fears and desired to take action because it was important to God's heart. When God shares something to us, are we willing to be bold to walk out in that and not just sit on the words that he's giving us? You know, it's, it's pretty apparent, too, a couple of the other things about this whole taking action. You know, immediately, Nehemiah gets to the city. He, he looks around the walls. He sees what's going on. He, desire, he decides what needs to be done. And then he calls to action the workers. He, doesn't, he can't build these walls by himself. He can't do it by himself. Church, I think it's so important for us to understand the correlation between this and the body of Christ today. None of you are so low. None of you fly so low in your life. And if you do, you will never be successful. If you try to walk through your life alone, you have forsaken the whole idea of what Christ was trying to establish in the early church, of what he was imparting. We are a group of people that when we come together, all things are possible. All things are possible because God is with us. It says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with you. See, that's the body of Christ. And Nehemiah realized, he was, I can't go there and do it by myself. I can't go here and I can't rebuild this entire wall by myself. It will never happen. Church, we cannot conquer life by ourselves. We cannot rebuild walls in our own lives, much less walls that the enemy has broken down far outside of our lives by ourselves. It requires the body of Christ, every person sitting in this room, to take part in that. And so I just challenge you, as we move forward in our lives and as we take action, let's do it together. Let's do it together. We are the troops that Christ rallies for the greater glory and good of who he is. Um, Pastor Evan had a really cool example um, I should have brought some, some up here with me, but he had the idea of, of, of matches and the idea that 
There's a process of agitation, obviously, with the match. A match by itself is no good. You can use it for kindling or whatever, but a match by itself, for the purpose that it's made for, it's no good just to, to hold the match. What it requires is for you to strike it against some kind of an abrasive surface. And as you strike it across that abrasive surface, it doesn't immediately ignite. It has to be agitated to the point of ignition. And we very much are the same way as believers. Sometimes the initial process of walking this action out, it's the agitation it's so like, is this really going to happen? Because this hurts really bad. This is really difficult. In fact, Pastor John, I think yesterday, uh, yesterday last week, um, shared the whole idea of faith that hurts sometimes. Are we willing to walk out faith that sometimes hurts? The really neat thing is, through the agitation, like a match, once it's past the agitation, it ignites and it's useful. We as believers sometimes have to fight through that initial agitation, the difficulty, even mentally and spiritually and physically, like, can this be possible? If I take action on this, the enemy is going to come and he's going to try to steal these things away from us. And he's going to try to lie to us. And he's going to make it. He's not going to make it easy. But we have to fight through the agitation to the point of ignition because once we as believers ignite passionately for our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we can see things changed. We can see walls rebuilt whether it be 70 or 700 years that something's been broken, Christ can break through because he's used us beyond the point of agitation to catch fire. And what do you know about matches? You put one match that's on fire to another match that's not, what happens? It catches fire. It's amazing to see how this works in life. When we walk God's process out, when we have his heart, when we take action and we fight through the agitation, that we are able to actually get ignited for the Lord in ways sometimes we don't even have to use our words. People are just like, what the heck is going on? What's different about you? Such a cool deal. That agitation causes perseverance. We have to, as believers, also persevere. And Nehemiah and all heroes need to persevere. We will all face things that will come and try to steal from us and to take away from us. Let's jump in real quick. Verse uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 7 through 15. You thought it was going to be easy for Nehemiah to build these walls, huh? Wrong. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7 says, Now it happened when Sambalot, Tobiah, the Arabs and the Amorites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to close and they became very angry and all of them conspired to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. These people did not like the Jews. Once they saw them rebuilding the walls, they're saying, no, that's not going to happen. We are going to stop this. And they've been successful before. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. So now, not only do they have external people coming and saying, we're going to kill you, we're going to stop you from doing this. Now the people internally are saying, we are so tired and this is so overwhelming. There's no way we're going to do this. And our adversary said, there will neither, there will neither, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. 
Therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight your brother and your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your fight for your brother and your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. Nehemiah and these people overcame so many types of adversity. And it wasn't because they were just strong enough and powerful enough. These are seemingly probably weak people because they're just like, they hadn't done anything for 70 years except for sit and live in rubble. Probably not the strongest and healthiest and like, hoorah, we're going to be able to do this. But because God was on their side and because God spoke to him, and it's so important that we go all the way back to the very beginning of this process, when God speaks, we can persevere. When God speaks, he gives us the ability and the power and the strength and the authority to persevere through all of the schemes of the enemy. All of them. No matter how daunting the task may look before us, no matter how big the enemy may be, God, when he speaks and when we take action, is on our side. Nehemiah, I get fired up about this. I love this. Nehemiah said to these people, you know what? I don't care. How many are out there? Every person who's here, man, woman, child, grab your sword because God is with us and he will allow us to prevail. Amazingly enough, they didn't even have to fight a battle. The, it says the enemy heard that God, what, God had done to, did, what God did to foil their plan and they just ran away. How many of you guys would like that? When the enemy comes in your life to try and destroy you, you stand on the power and the authority of who God is. You say, you know what, enemy, you have no place in my life because God has called me to do this and I will persevere through all things and you will not conquer me. You will not conquer me. Church, if you hear from the Lord and you walk out and you take action in what he's done, you will face adversity. This will not be easy. It will not. It says the enemy roams around like a roaring lion, seeing who he may devour. He is looking for those people who are going to step out in boldness because God has called them, and he wants to kill and to destroy you. But guess what? God is on your side. And if you have faith through that action faith, and you stand upon that faith, the enemy has no power over you. We have to persevere over time. It's a process, church. It is a process that takes time. You want to be a hero? You can't just be like, I want to be like Nehemiah, or I want to be like Joseph, or I want to be like Mary at the end of their lives. All of us want that. How many of us have really thought about the process that it takes to walk through these things? But if we're willing, I believe that all of us can be a hero. Because true heroes have God's heart, True heroes take God's heart and have action, apply action to it. And true heroes preserve and persevere over time. We can all be heroes. So we talk about this whole story of Nehemiah. And actually, I, I've really struggled with this in my mind. Like, what is, 
such a cool story, such a neat story. Now you know why the history is so important to understand what was going on here. But the, the part that I've struggled with is like, how in the world does this apply to us? Okay, process, great, whatever, but how does this apply to us? Like, Jerusalem, city walls, like, cupbearer to a king, like, I just, how does this apply to us? And I felt like there's a couple things that the Lord shared with me. This one's not in your notes, but I thought it was huge. In fact, I, pr- I was praying last night before I went to bed, and I was asking the Lord that he would just share his heart with me. And I fell asleep, and about 11.45, I woke back up, and this has not normally happened to me, but I woke back up about 11.45, and just, I had this thought in my head. I was like, I got to write it down. I just, I was like, no, I want to go to sleep. I'm not going to write this down. I want to go to sleep. So I'm fighting through this process, and finally, like, once I realized what was going on, I wrote it down, and I went back to sleep, and I woke back up this morning, and I was like, I hope what I wrote down made, actually made sense. Like, because I have done that before. I've written down something, I'm like, I have no idea what that meant. But this is what I felt like God said to me, and it has to do with purpose. It has to do with all of us understanding our purpose and finding that purpose that God has for our lives. And the thought was this, that purpose is not found in the process. Our purpose is not just found in the process. Our purpose is found on relying on God through the process. And I think it's hugely important. Because as soon as we relegate being a hero to point one, two, and three, we think we're going to find our purpose by saying, God, please speak to me. And then when he does, we're going to go do this. And then through that, obviously, the enemy is going to attack us. And then things are just going to work out for the best. The problem is, is if we follow point one, two, and three, and we're so narrowly focused on doing these three things, we are so easily able to lose God in all of it. The amazing portion of this story, go back and read DMI. I challenge you. It's like 12 chapters. It's not that long. There is a common thread that runs through the entire book of Nehemiah that you will find. And it's only the first eight chapters that it even talks about this story. So now go and read eight chapters. It's not that hard. Maybe seven, actually. But the entire process that Nehemiah walked through, there was something that just jumped out at me. I've read this. The book of Nehemiah, I have read this so many times over the last year. God has just shown me so many different things through it. But just recently did I notice that Nehemiah, maybe more than any other character I've ever read about in the Bible, went to God in prayer, saying, God, I need you. God, may you help me. Lord, direct my thoughts. May you make this successful. It is throughout the entire first seven or eight chapters of Nehemiah, it's like, Lord, help me. Okay. Then he does this and he's successful. Lord, may you give me guidance. And then God gives him guidance. See, he didn't just follow, hear from the Lord, take action, and then persevere. Hear from the Lord, take action, persevere. Hear from the Lord, take action, persevere. You have to listen and go to God through all the processes, through the entire portion of everything that you do. And if you lose God at any point, you will lose the battle. You will fight a winless battle. And so I felt like God so strongly wanted me to tell people that, that purpose is not found in going, just going through the process. Purpose is found on re- in relying on God through the process. There are no overnight heroes. No matter how much we would love to be 
I would love to be an overnight hero. I would love for like tomorrow, all of you like pick up the Denver Post and you read about like me doing something heroic. You know, cool, overnight hero. But there is no such thing. There is a process that all of us have to walk through. And Nehemiah was part of God's process. What's amazing is when we read the book of Nehemiah, we see what one person can do when they walk out this process. What can God do through one person just like you sitting there when you get his heart, when you act on it, and when you persevere? Amazingly enough, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed for 140 years. Seventy years into this process, they built the temple, and for 70 more years, the city lied in ruins. Do you know how long it took Nehemiah and the people to rebuild the walls? 52 days. 52 days. They had 75,000 people living in this city for 70 years who didn't move a stone. And in 52 days, one man who God spoke to went there and changed the nation. What a fantastic story of a real hero. What a fantastic realization that when God is doing something, we are simply his vessel that he uses to do what he wants to do. I'm going to invite our worship team up here. I have, the other portion of this that I have really battled with is, what is how do we respond to this? It's like, everybody who's out there who wants to be a hero, raise your hand. It's like, everybody who's out there who wants to face adversity, raise your hand. You know? Like, I think all of us want to be heroes. I hope all of us want to be heroes. I don't know that all of us want to have to walk through things that Nehemiah walked through. But I think all of us, at some place in time, I think all of us are walking through processes right now in our lives. I think our lives are just continually picking up a process and walking through it. In fact, our entire life is really a whole process. You know, we, once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, we walk through a process of living our lives for Him till one day He comes back and He returns for His bride. It's a process that will not end until He comes back. But I, what I really felt, again, this is something I felt so strongly. I felt that God wanted to specifically speak to people who feel like they're stuck in process. You, 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 hear, this, you hear this message and you're like, yeah, I'm in process. And I've been in process for like 30 years. There's a, the cool part of, of the story of Nehemiah, like I said, is that at the end of the story, there's completion and fulfillment of what God called in his life. It's not like God spoke to Nehemiah and he went to Jerusalem and we're still hoping the walls are going to be built one day. You know, God spoke to Nehemiah and in a period of like 52 days from when he got there and they started building, it was done. It was completed. And then God started inspiring other things on his heart, and that's the whole second half of Nehemiah, some really amazing stuff. But I feel like there, there's 
I believe that what the Lord said to me is that there are people in here that are stuck in process, that there is not completion, that there is not fulfillment. And I don't know what that means. I don't know who that is. I don't know what that looks like. But I want to pray for you because it's not, first of all, it's not fun to be stuck in process. Like sometimes God is taking us through something. Hopefully he's taking us through something and there's purpose to it. But sometimes we're just not learning what that purpose is. And so we keep going through these repetitive patterns of process, trying to break out of this thing. We want to hear from God. Maybe we go and we do hear from God and we start to take action. But when the enemy, when the enemy comes, he eats us for lunch. So then we have to go back to square one and we have to be like, all right, God, I tried it, but I didn't really succeed all the way through it. It was not completed. Or maybe some of you, it's hard. You're, you're like the person who's like stuck in their prayer closet that they're like, Lord, give me your heart. Lord, give me your heart. Lord, give me your heart. But you never do anything when he says, gives you his heart. Because there's a fear. There's a portion of fear that it's bigger than me and I can't, I don't have the faith to walk it out. Maybe, maybe you're stuck at the portion of just hearing from God, but you can't get the action part down. I, I don't know. So let's just do this. Everybody bow your heads. I'm just going to trust that God is faithful. If you come tonight and you say, I... I want something far greater in my life and I believe that God has that and I believe that there's purpose in that and I believe that there's, I believe that he shared some of those things with me but I'm just stuck in the process, whatever it may be. If you feel like you're just stuck in the process and you're just swimming in that, maybe it's a repetitive pattern or you're just been this, you've been in the same place for years and years and years. Can you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Okay, all over the room. If you say, Pastor Marcus, it's time for me to break out of the process and for me to see completion and fulfillment of what God has in my life, for my life, for this season of my life. If that's you, one more chance, raise your hand. Okay. Father, God, the burdens of this world even the burdens that you give are far too great for us to carry if we do it by ourselves. Father, I thank you for every person who is bold enough to say, I'm stuck and it's time for me to break out of being stuck and to finish the process. God, if there's anything I know, that is if you speak, it is all possible. God, if the process starts by having your heart, Father, I believe that there is a completion to that. And so for every person who sits in this room and says, I need to see that completion, it's, I'm done with the cycle, I'm done with being stuck, God, I pray right now supernaturally that you would break through in their lives. God, I pray that you would give revelation where it's necessary. God, I pray that you would bring a new word to them in their lives. God, I pray that you would bring audacious faith and that people would not get stuck hearing what you're saying but not being able to walk it out. And God, I pray maybe even more specifically for any person sitting in this room that you feel like the enemy has just had a heyday in your life and your process has been stuck being 
under the foot of the enemy, beaten down and destroyed, I, I speak prophetically right now that you will break out of that, that the Lord will, will come and conquer the enemy of your soul, that although the enemy and the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking who he may de- devour, our Lord is an overcomer. He has shut the mouth of the lion. He has released you from his grip. No longer will you be under the enemy. You, in the name of Jesus, I pray, release. I pray, release, God. Thank you, Lord. And Father, for the rest of us here in this room, God, I I pray that we would truly be heroes. I pray that that's not just something that we're saying. I pray that all of us would be willing to walk through your process to be a hero for you, Lord. I don't care how big or how small it is. I pray that all of us would have even little wins in our lives for you and your kingdom. God, give us vision. May we have your heart. God, we say we will take action, not on our own strength, but upon what you can give. And Lord, when the enemy does come, because he will, when the enemy does come, Father, I pray that our faith that has come from hearing will be so bold that he has no power in our lives. Father, I pray for completion and full fulfillment of that which you desire from us. We love you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Church, may you stand your feet. We're going to enter into a time of worship. This is time to give all glory and honor to God. Like I said, Nehemiah, if he knew anything, he knew his number one responsibility was to go to God because that is what allowed him to do everything that he did. So through this time, we're going to have communion. We're going to have the crosses where you can go pin stuff to it if God's putting something on your heart. We're going to have candles. If, if, if you need Jesus' light in your life right now in the darkness that the enemy may have you trapped in, go light a candle and leave it with him. We have communion at the crosses, which is going to be juice at the front, which is wine. We have people in the back to pray for you. And we have, greater than anything, we have the ability to enter into the throne room of God right now before him. No matter how you do this, may you experience God right now. Let's do it together. Pastor Nate.